don't want to ruin your surprise, but suffice to say that this episode of the White Poppies from Remembrance series on Postcards from Gravelly Beach features another story on war, this time told from a point of view that, well, we maybe don't often expect, and also written by someone who, well, again, might uh, be a little bit of a surprise. Come along, won't you? Later on, Monday evening, here I am, back up in North Vancouver. The rain stopped. It's dark out. Well, duh. Anyway, you know, lots of thinking about war and peace and remembrance and stuff today and learning so much about the downtown east side. I'm really trying to uh, get past the uh, zombie facade and spread some evocative empathy towards the people in a difficult plight. But really, for me, the order of the day is is uh, it's peace, man, and how can we effectuate peace? And, you know, when it comes down to thinking about war and why people kill and, you know, and go to war, and, uh, you know, it's, I think there's, there's definitely a, uh, a kind of a thrill of teamwork and succeeding and being on the edge and succeeding as a team. But I think people are more apt to go to defend their homeland rather than defend an ideology. And a lot of times wars get wrapped up in the ideological context and really uh, the agendas and the rules and the whole thoughts of mind on either side are uh, remarkably the same at 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 the ground level. Oh, what's this going by? Hey, it's a big old fire truck. That's a little unusual. Huh. Uh, when I was coaching inline hockey in Olympia, Washington, several years ago, uh, one of my players gave me a story, and it was quite a few years ago. And, uh, well... You don't need much to know. You don't need to know much more about it, except it was written by a young writer, and written several years ago. Get comfortable. I'm just going to roll the whole thing. Hope you don't mind. Waiting in Baghdad. By Chris, Chris K. It has been a long and bloody war for both the Americans and the Iraqis. With the Americans closing in on Baghdad, there is even less hope of holding the country for the Iraqis. Even with the enormous odds against them, the Iraqis still fight on with occasional suicide bombings of American positions and sneak attacks during American convoy movements. However, when a major battle breaks out, the Americans always win due to their superior firepower. Muhammad has just arrived by truck to the front lines from the training camps. As he has handed weapons to help position in the trenches, he sees hundreds of soldiers from trucks and, from trucks and filling the trenches. While he watches them assume their positions in the trenches, he sees Ibrahim, a friend he'd known all his life. When Ibrahim sees Muhammad, they run towards each other and hug and joy. Ibrahim asks Muhammad where he's been all, what he's been at the last few years, three years. 
Muhammad said that he's married, he's married a beautiful woman and they have opened a rug shop in downtown Baghdad. Then Muhammad returns the question. Ibrahim says that he's just, just trying to get by, working odd jobs for people. Muhammad tells Ibrahim that he can work at his shop when the war is over. Well, the two happy men begin working to place the few weapons available for defending Baghdad against the Americans. As the troops continue to make preparations, even more soldiers keep arriving at the sandy trenches. Curious to see who's coming, Muhammad and Ibrahim look up at the new faces. They hear one man saying how important it is for Iraq and Muslims everywhere. The man who is arousing the men catches Ibrahim's eye. He asks Muhammad if this man looks familiar. Muhammad says it looks like their old friend, but he's not sure. However, both realize that he is indeed Mustafa. They call to him and catch his attention. Soon, three happy childhood friends are united once more. Hey, you remember that lantern? Not to interject here. The lantern I talked about a few episodes ago. Yeah, the Welsh mining lantern. Yeah, I got it going. That's here. That's lighting the way tonight, and it's working at it's working at charm. It's a nice uh, piece of equipment for sure. And yeah, put in the lamp oil in the base. You unscrew the thing and unscrew the wick thing out, and so it's a little tricky getting it in. But uh, once it's going, whew, she's a beauty. Muhammad tells Ibrahim and himself, uh, tells where Ibrahim and himself had been, and then asked Mustafa his, about his whereabouts for the last four years. Mustafa said that he left home to become an Iman. When Ibrahim asked why he came to fight, Mustafa says that it was just as important to worship Allah as it is to fight for the country. So then Mustafa asked why Ibrahim came. Ibrahim replies, and he wanted to see what army life was like. And uh, with all the battles going on, he figured he'd definitely get some action. Suddenly, Muhammad starts crying and 
talks about how his brother Jarmund was killed by, when the Americans bombed the no-fly zone in the southern part of Iraq two years ago. Muhammad says that he enlisted to get revenge on the American dogs for his dead brother. Mustafa says that he will pray for his dead brother, say a prayer for the dead brother, and ask all of them that Muhammad should get his revenge. While the three friends are talking, an officer comes around to mate to his trench to make sure that they are being filled properly with the weapons. When Ibrahim notices the officer, he tells the other men to get working. As they work, the men talk about their wives and girlfriends. Muhammad tells Mustafa about the rug shop and the wonderful wife who soon have a baby. And Ibrahim says that he has a girlfriend who wants to marry when the war is over. Mustafa then says that he has no time for women in his life with his religious studies. When Muhammad asks Mustafa why he wants to become an Iman, Mustafa says he wants to follow the path of the Prophet. Soon, uh, soon all the weapons are in place and the men are allowed to rest inside the trench bunkers. As they relax, Mustafa asks Muhammad if he is afraid to die. He replies that he will have failed his brother if he dies without killing Americans, but he is not really afraid of dying itself. Mustafa says that war is such a waste because so many good people die for a useless cause. Ibrahim says he does not want to die because he would leave his soon-to-be wife alone and she would have nothing left. Mustafa says that dying is a way of life and there's no way to get around it, so there should be no fear, fear of that. Some soldiers came into each trench bunker carrying pamphlets that an American plane had dropped earlier that day. The messages warned the soldiers to surrender on such and such a date. The soldiers took this as a sign as to when the attack would come soon. On this particular pamphlet, the main article was about the Americans uh, were going to help the Iraqis once the war with over, was over with food and medicines. Muhammad then said that all these claims were lies because if they were going to help the Iraqi people, then they would not be killing them. Ibrahim mm. pulls out his canteen and and hands it to each of his friends as his toast to stop the Americans' reign of destruction. After the toast, they went outside to see if anything is happening yet. Just as they stepped out of their bunker, two American fighter planes flew overhead and dropped their bombs on one of their trenches. Through all the explosions, soldiers managed to assume their post in time to shoot down one of the planes and damage the others. However, the Iraqi counterattack came too late. Twenty men lay dead and many others wounded. Ibrahim took this as a sign of trouble because if they were bombing now, the rest of the strike force was soon to come. Anticipating another attack, all the soldiers were ordered to man their places inside the trenches and be ready for a second attack. Within ten minutes, four Iraqi tanks came to the trenches to support the soldiers against the American tanks. Soon there were hundreds of blips on the radar screen. The Americans had arrived. The Iraqis knew they stood little chance against the oncoming Americans, but they were determined to hold their ground. As soon as the American tanks became visible, the Iraqi tanks opened fire on the Americans, destroying two of their tanks, but now artillery cannons started shooting and instantly two of the Iraqi tanks lay smoldering in flames. By now, the American artillery cannons were within range of the trench guns and they started shooting. However, unless the Iraqis could destroy their artillery, they were sitting ducks to the oncoming fire. One after another, the Iraqi tanks were destroyed, and now some of the trenches were being blown up too. Quickly, the Iraqis had lost a good majority of their troops. Over the commotion, the officer in charge calls a retreat to the cliff bunker overlooking a ravine that tanks would have to drive through. 
The cliff bunker was dug out of the side of a steep hillside many days earlier, and now would be tested for strength and camouflage. As the men retreated, their artillery cannons fired, still fired. One blast killed the officer and three other men, blowing their bodies up like in, in the air like dolls. Mustafa turned around to see the men die and quietly said a prayer for them as he ran to the cliff bunker. When they reached the bunker, the American tanks were just within firing distance. There were many men with RPGs from the trenches who were getting ready to fire at the tanks. Other soldiers were prepared to throw grenades and homemade Molotov cocktails at the tanks. The RPGs destroyed five tanks and the grenades and Molotov cocktails only wrecked two others. However, with the bunker revealed, the rest of the American tanks began to fire upon it. The explosions from the tanks blew most of the bunker up, but a few men managed to survive. The soldiers picked up their dead comrades' RPGs and fired them back at the tanks. They destroyed three more American tanks, but the other ones returned fire, this time completely destroying the bunker. While this was happening, Mustafa tried to leave the bunker, but saw Ibrahim lying on the ground with rocks covering his body. He stopped to help his friend, but Mustafa discovered that Ibrahim was dead. With sadness, he said another prayer for his old friend and then tried to find Muhammad in the rubble. Muhammad was alive, but one of his legs was missing and the other one was cut badly. And Muhammad did not know what was going on. Muhammad looked up at Mustafa and said that he felt a funny tingling in his legs, but could not see what was wrong. Mustafa did not know whether to tell him that he was missing a leg. He said nothing as he took a rag from his clothes and wrapped it around Muhammad's stump and dragged him outside. As he got near the exit, he saw four other shoulders waiting, but none of them were leaving. Mustafa asked them why they were not getting out of this broken bunker. They told him to be quiet because American troops were looking around the area, and they thought they would be shot on sight. Mustafa's heart went into his throat as he knew they had no chance of defending themselves against the Americans in the bunker. It was then that Muhammad woke up and could feel the pain in its entirety. He began to cry out, and quickly the other men had to cover his mouth so they would not be revealed. As Mustafa lay there thinking about how he lost Ibrahim, and maybe even Muhammad, he began to cry as he realized that he himself may not make it back home. He prayed to Allah that he might survive with Muhammad and the other men. The next sound he heard was of people moving outside the bunker, people not speaking Arabic but English. All the people inside the bunker became silent and overtaken with fear. Mustafa began to forget that he was not afraid of death, because he was becoming scared too. 
Suddenly, the Americans outside began yelling something that none of the Iraqis could understand. Mustafa remembered just then about the pamphlets. Could this be the help that the Americans promised, he thought? Or was it just a trick to get them to reveal themselves for death or torture? He was caught between yelling or staying quiet. He did not know what to do that would save him and his comrades. Mustafa decided to stay quiet because he thought it might be better to have an Iraqi doctor fix Muhammad instead of an American doctor. He then prayed to Allah again to have the Americans leave soon so they too could leave. This was the last thing that Mustafa thought before seeing a round object being thrown in the bunker along with fire spewing from an American flamethrower. By the time the grenade exploded, the Iraqi soldiers were already dead from the flames. A couple minutes later, two planes flew overhead and dropped their bombs with bursts, which burst into flames burning all traces of the dead Iraqis and their trenches. As the smoke cleared, there was no trace of the hundreds of Iraqi and American lives that had been lost at the trenches and canyon guarding Baghdad. Oh, no.
indeed that was waiting in baghdad written by a young man named chris who played on my inline hockey team that i coached in olympia washington and he wrote that in the very early days of this most recent invasion of iraq here it is 2007 it still seems quite poignant wouldn't you say music there in the background is provided by my friend traubin and i'm not sure who it is but the other music was the Black Angels with Sniper at the Gates of Heaven and the First Vietnam War. Of course, there's more at postcardsfromgravelybeach.com. Enjoy. Well, that's a bit more than a postcard. Thanks for rolling with it. 